Hello, welcome back to Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I am G2. I am here to speak to you about everything that happened in the world of wrestling. Uh, what happened on Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW Dynamite, AEW Rampage, and Impact Wrestling. And without further ado, you see the length of the episode. No time to waste. Let's start the show. So we start with Monday Night Raw. Monday Night Raw would open up with the World Heavyweight Champion Seth Rollins coming to the ring. Seth's walking a little bit, not as fast as he usually would, because this is the Raw after Crown Jewel. The match that he had with uh, Drew McIntyre was an incredible match. So Seth's out here to open up Raw. And Seth would say that he has to thank two people. He will start off by thanking Drew McIntyre, as I said, for having an incredible match at Crown Jewel. And that match has made Seth just a little bit better, more than what he was before he entered that match. And he wants to thank Drew for not aligning with the Judgment Day, basically being a man of his own word. And the second person that Seth would say that he has to thank is Sami Zayn. Seth would call Sami to the ring, which Sami would come out to the ring. Seth would thank Sami for stopping Priest from cashing in his money in the bank briefcase at Crown Jewel. Sammy will let Seth know that he didn't do it for him, but he did it for everyone. Because Judgment Day holds every championship on Raw except the World Heavyweight Championship and also the Intercontinental title, so I gotta correct that there. And that Sammy doesn't want to deal with another bloodline situation at hand where the bloodline carried all the gold when Sammy was around them. So he doesn't want to do that again with the Judgment Day here. Seth would thank Sammy and give him a World Heavyweight Championship match anytime, anywhere of Sammy's choosing. Sammy would tell Seth that he doesn't want to take the World Heavyweight title from Seth, not at 100%. This would make Seth a little bit irate, and he would tell Sammy point blank, guys like me and you, we've known each other for decades, we've been doing this for decades, when are we ever really at 100%? So Seth would again re- state his statement about getting your world championship match anytime, any place. The crowd would basically start chanting for tonight. Sammy would listen to it and Sammy would say, why don't we do it tonight then? So we would get our World Heavyweight Championship match between Sammy Zayn and Seth Rollins in the main event of Monday Night Raw. Now, once we move away from this, we go backstage and we see the Judgment Day in the locker room. Priest would be highly upset and pissed because one, he just got his money in the bank briefcase back from Adam Pierce, because Pierce made Sammy turn it over to him when Sammy entered the building of Raw. And two, Priest saw Seth just give a World Heavyweight Championship match to Sammy, the guy that cost him the world title at Crown Jewel. So Priest is upset. JD will try to calm Priest down. Priest isn't trying to hear from JD. Yes, again, JD is still the underling that Priest just going to kick and just beat up whenever he feels like it, Finn would tell Priest, hey man, listen, we're going to take care of the New Day, that'll probably get you in better spirits, Priest would say, you know what, you're right, let's go handle the New Day, so we would get our first match of the night, it'll be a tag team match, the New Day, which is represented by Kofi Kingston and Xavier Woods, going against the Judgment Days, Damian Priest and Finn Balor, the undisputed tag team champions, Priest and Balor would win the match by pinfall, when Priest would hit a South of Heaven chokeslam on Xavier Woods, and Finn would finish it off with a coup de grace for the win. Solid tag match open for Monday Night Raw. Now, next up, we will have Shinsuke Nakamura going against Akira Tozawa. Nakamura would win this match by pinfall by hitting a Kinshasa. 
Now, after the match, Otis would come in the ring and stare down Nakamura. Nakamura would leave the ring, and he's basically saying to Otis that we'll do this on my time. You know what? For Nakamura and Akira Tozawa to have this match, you thought it was just going to be a straight blowout of Nakamura just beating up on Tozawa, but no. Tozawa was actually able to get some hits off, kicks off, and even able to German suplex uh, Nakamura. That's not on people's itinerary when you see these two guys go against one another. When you see those two names just basically be put side by side, Shinsuke versus Akira, you would, as I said before, think this was going to be just a complete massacre, and it wasn't. Um, it was shocking that they gave Akira Tozawa that much offense on Nakamura, but hey, it is what it is. I'm glad they were able to do it, but it was just shocking as a viewer. Um, after this, we get a fatal four-way matchup where the winner will be facing Guther at Survivor Series for the Intercontinental title. We have Ivar, who have Bronson Reed, The Miz, and Ricochet in this fatal four-way matchup here. The Miz would win the match when both Bronson and Ivar will be on separate top turnbuckles. Ivar will hit Ricochet with a moonsault, and Bronson will go for the tsunami on Miz, but Miz will move out of the way. Miz will then pin Bronson, and Ivar will be pinning Ricochet, so you have two pins occurring at the exact same time. The referee would look at both of the pins, start making a count one, make the count two, and Ricochet would kick out at three, but Bronson wouldn't kick out, and that's how Miz would win the match here. Now, at first, they were trying to say, like, there's some confusion, but Michael Cole would say, no, Miz won this clearly, because you could see, even they had to even replay it back on replay, that Ricochet kicked out at two, and that Miz was able to keep Bronson Reed down four to three, so that's how Miz is your new number one contender. Ivar being upset, he would attack Miz after this, he'll beat him up, he'll hit him with a moonsault, that's the end of this, and it will be set for next week. Ivar will be going against The Miz on next week's episode of Monday Night Raw. Now, a couple things to mention about this match here, especially on The Miz's point of view here. Miz will break out a couple new moves. He'll hit uh, Bronson Reed with a springboard crossbody. He'll hit Ivar with a spinning DDT, and he'll hit a co-breaker DDT onto Ricochet. So Miz was pulling out different moves in his arsenal, which got everybody by surprise. Even the crowd will start... Uh, cheering for the Miz when he pulled those moves out because the Miz he's pretty basic wrestler he doesn't do anything try to get flashy with it he's trying to do regular moves that will have low injury rate for himself and his opponent and he's just trying to win so when Miz broke those moves out here it was a surprise to everyone and everybody is starting to think that Miz can pull off some other moves, which Miz probably could because he's been in WWE for God knows how long, I think. Uh, he's almost been there now, almost for two decades, almost 20 years. I think in 2006, he'll be on the main roster for 20 years. So, yeah. Um, Miz, he's went against different competitors in the WWE, and he's also trained with some other uh, individual. So for Miz to probably have some secret moves in his stash, it's not that hard for me to believe that. Just like John Cena. John Cena pulled out uh, different moves. I believe it was, what, 2015 when he was on his United States Championship run? He started pulling out different moves and got everybody shocked that he actually can't wrestle more than what he was wrestling, the limitation that he was throughout his career. So for Miz, I hope that we get that for Miz and people actually put some respect on Miz's name, but we'll have to wait and see. But congrats to Miz for pulling out uh, moves that will get people to appreciate him more. 
Now, next up, we get the tag team match. This is the Creed Brothers' first official match on the main roster as main roster uh, talent because the main roster now has the Creed Brothers on Monday Night Raw. They were signed a contract with Raw. So the Creed Brothers are here and Ivy Niles on Raw. Uh, the Creeds will go against DIY. The Creeds would win this match by pinfall thanks to Ludwig Kaiser interference when DIY was going to hit meet in the middle onto Julius Creed, but Brutus would pull Champa out of the ring. And as the referee is busy looking at this, he would miss Ludwig Kaiser coming from the crowd, getting on the apron and kicking Johnny Gargano in the head. This allows the Creeds to execute a Brutus ball for the win. And the Creed Brothers have their first official win on the main roster as main roster talent. Solid tag match for both of these teams here. Nothing to complain about. The only thing that I got a question about is we're putting the Creed Brothers on main roster TV and we having them as main roster talents now in the month of November. This is the closing of the year. Now, for people that don't know this about WWE uh, booking and television shows of WWE caliber, it's usually not much storyline going down. It's usually much uh, wrestling and probably filler until January when the Royal Rumble kicks back up because they've already finished out like their major storylines, like major tees, like the things that you're going to see on TV is like, okay, this is what we got planned out and try to pull out fillers until January rolls around when the Royal Rumble happens and it gets everybody excited. The casual fans and the diehard fans start getting themselves excited because we know that's the road to WrestleMania when January hits. Um, the Korean brothers, they are a team that I think the casual fans would appreciate and will appreciate once they start seeing them in January. Um, for them to be on main roster now, I just think that's kind of like, okay, you guys had them in NXT all this time now. And I know this kind of go against what I've been saying for many, many months of saying, why is the Creed Brothers still in NXT? Why are you wasting away with them? Having them still be in NXT for these next couple of months wouldn't have hurt just to hear the criticism again because you still got uh, them down there doing whatever they could have done, cool, fine, whatever. But I would just have had them probably show up in January so the common uh, individuals and the diehards can really focus in on the Creed Brothers the way that the Creed Brothers need to be focused in on and honed in on because they are a excellent tag team that if you go back to their NXT run, they were just pulling out great tag team matches with different tag teams. So I hope that we get this from the Creed Brothers in, these, in this month and the next month when this is filler. But we'll have to wait and see. But again, I'm not trying to crap on them being on the main roster, congratulations. I just think that with them doing this now in the month of November, going into December, I think it's kind of late, but who am I? Now, next up, we'll go to the Women's Battle Royal, where the winner will be facing Rhea Ripley at Survivor Series. Um, the winner of this match will be Zoe Stark by eliminating Shayna Baszler to get the win. When both ladies were fighting on the apron, Zoe would hit three spears, well, not spears, God, super kicks on... Shayna, and then hit a DDT, and this will have Shayna fall off the apron to for Zoe to win. Um, solid. Everything was straight. The last three women in this match was Zoe, Raquel, and Shayna. It took both Shayna and Zoe to eliminate Raquel because Raquel was hanging on by her uh, hands as she was basically dang dangling off the, I believe, the second rope. And they just basically kept on hitting at her hands to make her release. And that's how she released. Um, the biggest 
I would say the biggest person that showed off anything in this match here, and they really highlighted it, was Ivy Now. You saw her eliminate both uh, Kaden Carter and Katana Chance. You saw her eliminate uh, Chelsea Green. You saw her eliminate also uh, Nia Jax, also with the help of Raquel, Zoe, and Shayna. And this will have Nia Jax pull Ivy off the apron. So I can see Ivy probably having a little feud with uh, Nia Jax next. And again, I'm cool with that because, again, you're putting a good spotlight on Ivy because you, you could tell that they want to do something with Ivy, especially with the women's division being what they are on Monday Night Raw and with Rhea basically taking care of every woman on the Monday Night Raw roster. We have new fresh blood on there. I'm cool with this. So hopefully they constantly put some spotlight onto Ivy. And even though she's not going to win against Rhea, I think it's her and Rhea's going to have a good match whenever that time comes about. But I want them to put more spotlight on Ivy now the same way that they did here on the Battle Royal, especially since this is her first night officially as a main roster talent. So congratulations to her, but also congratulations to Zoe Starks to winning the Battle Royal since she was the dark horse in the Fatal Fireway match at Crown Jewel. I think she's going to have a great match with Rhea at Survivor Series and uh, made the best woman win, which will be Rhea Ripley. At least that's what I'm thinking. They got a whole nother one. Two weeks now to kind of make people get invested and actually cheer on Zoe to make us believe that she can't take the title off of Rhea. But again, as I said, I think Rhea's going to win it, but they got two weeks to uh, turn the people around to go more on Zoe's side. Now, we go over to our main event for the World Heavyweight Championship. It is Seth Rollins defending it against challenger Sami Zayn. Seth Rollins will retain his championship by pinfall when Sami Zayn had Seth in the Boston Crab. Seth would reverse out of it into a pin for the win. This was a good match between Sami and Seth. People really were pulling for Sami. Uh, everybody loves Sami. Sami has been loved since he turned on uh, the bloodline at the beginning of this year, so that really has helped him out. Uh, he's really passionate. He had a passionate promo at the beginning of the night, and people just constantly continue to root for Sami. But Seth, he just finds a way to sneakily just retain his championship, and uh, that's what happened here. So after the match, you would see Sami have a dejected look on his face because of the results. Seth would have to get to his feet and talk to Sami. Sami would raise Seth's arm in the air. So we have that. Seth would still be in the ring. Sammy would leave the ring. And Judgment Day would rush down to the ring to beat up on Sammy because uh, Judgment Day owes Sammy a beatdown because it cost him Priest his opportunity to cash in at Crown Jewel. So as Judgment Day is beating up on Sammy outside of the ring, Seth would uh, hit a suicide dive onto the Judgment Day. And now Seth is trying to help Sammy. But the numbers are still too much. Four on two. Then Jay Uso will come down. Now it's three on four. Then Cody will come down. Now it's all evened out. Four on four. Now you get security guards coming down. You get referees. You get backstage officials to come out to separate all four men. Adam Pierce, he would get a mic because he's pissed off and he would announce what everybody kind of thought was going to happen anyway. I'm tired of the games every night, every week. You four want to play games. You four want to play games. You want to play games? We're going to play games in Chicago at Survivor Series in War Games. Hell yeah! 
So as Survivor Series, it will be War Games, Judgment Day, going against Cody Rose, Jey Uso, Seth Rollins, and Sami Zayn. At least that's the way it appeared when Brawl wouldn't go off because you will see all four guys again go back and brawl with each other, and that's how Raw will end. I like that Raw ends with chaos. It should end with chaos because that's the first wrestling show of the week. So when it gets to end with chaos, it kind of sets the tone for the wrestling week, and it sets the tone for all the other shows. So that's how Raw will end. Now with that, that's your Raw Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now we move over to NXT. NXT will start off with NXT Heritage Cup match. Noam Dar with Metaphor in his corner going against the challenger Akira Dazao who have Alpha Academy in his corner. Now for the rules of this match is as follows. Two out of three falls, six rounds uh, match, three minutes in every round. If you get disqualified or knock out, the match ends. So, there you go. Uh, Noam Dar would win the first fall in the second round with a pinfall by getting Tozawa with a roll-up and holding his tights in the process. Now, when the referee does call for the bell for the first fall, um, Noam Dar would forearm Akira in the face. And this would kind of spark some anger from Alpha Academy because you're not supposed to attack someone after the bell rings. Because if you do, you could get disqualified. The referee does not do that here. Um, after the third fall win, Noam Dar will have Tozawa in a triangular choke, and then he starts elbowing him. The referee would call for the bell because the third round would end, and you see Noam Dar constantly just uh, elbow Tozawa in the head constantly over and over again. Again, this would still bring some animosity from the Alpha Academy to Noam Dar because he's not playing within the rules. However, Tozawa would get the better of it because he would get the second fall in the fourth Round with the ankle lock submission, making Noam Dar tap out. Now we go to our third fall. This is the fifth round. Noam Dar will get the third and final fall in the fifth round, thanks to Metaphor interfering. When Tazawa would have Noam Dar dead to rights, and as Tazawa is going to the top rope, you will see Oro Mensa get on the apron. Tazawa will kick Oro Mensa off. Uh, Tazawa was about to hit the Senton, or as he goes for the Senton, jumps in the air. Uh, Lash Legend would pull. Noam Dar out of the ring, and you will see Tazawa just crash on the mat. The referee would miss seeing Lash pulling Noam out of the ring because he would be focused on Alpha Academy go over to Oro Mensa. So, once Noam Dar is thrown right back into the ring, Noam Dar would hit Akira Tazawa with the uh, Noam roller. Oh, no, it's Nova roller. Sorry, it's a running Insigiri for the win. So, Noam Dar would hold on to his prestigious Heritage Cup. Now, after the match, you would see Oro Mensa get in the face of Akira Tozawa and talk smack. Chad Gable would be in the ring. He would German suplex Oro Mensa, and then Otis would finish Mensa off with a body splash. So that's how this thing would end here. Now, next up, we will have the new NXT Women's Champion, Lyra Valkyria, coming out to the ring. Lyra would be happy about becoming the NXT Women's Champion. Lyra would give props to Becky Lynch, for not only being a legend, but for giving her a fight. Now, as Lyra is bigging up Becky, you will see Zia Lee walk down like the steps from the crowd, and you see security trying to stop her from getting to the ring. Lyra would see it. Lyra would tell the security guards, hey, let her through. So Zia Lee would get in the ring, and you have this little, nice little stare down between Zia Lee and Lyra Valkyria. Zaya would ask Lyra, did you see what I did to Becky on Raw? And what Zaya is 
mentioning is that she stopped Becky from entering the women's battle royal when she kicked Becky in the head before Becky even got into the ring. So that would take Becky out of the battle royal in the exact same process. Zia Lee would not be able to compete because Adam Pierce he would send her to the back and tell her that she's not competing thanks to her actions off that. So Zaya's here in NXT. Lyra would tell Zaya that she knows what she's doing and that she's upset because Becky told Zaya that if she wanted a championship, she had to earn it. Zaya will let Lyra know that that's what her plan is going on from here forward and that she's going after Lyra's NXT Women's Championship. Now, both of the ladies would start getting closer to one another. Uh, a security guard would try to separate, tell Lyra she's a champion. She doesn't need to do this right now. Zaya would spinning kick the security guard in his head, knock him down. And you will see, again, Lyra and Zaya start getting each other's face. Lyra will hold up the NXT Women's Championship up in the air. So it seems that we're having that right there. Zaya Lee, she does have a point. She was supposed to get a championship match against Becky because Becky was always throwing out championship opportunities against anybody. And Zaya didn't mention that she wanted a shot. Becky said, you'll get your shot. But Becky ended up losing the title to Lyra Valkyria. So now it just seems that Zaya is trying to get something that was promised to her. And it seems that we're going to get that match sometime because it was not announced. But you can kind of see that's kind of the direction path that they're going here with Zaya Lee and Lyra Valkyria. Now, next up, we will get an Iron Survivor qualifying matchup between Fallon Henley and Tiffany Stratton. Both of these competitors were both picked by Mick Foley. As the next following weeks of NXT, you will have WWE Legends picking out people who will be qualifying, well, have qualifying matches to participate in the men and women's Iron Survivors matches at Deadlock. This week was Mick Foley for the women. He had... Fallon and Tiffany going against one another, and for the men, he had Dijak going against Tyler Bate. Now, for the women's match, Fallon and Tiffany, Tiffany would win the match by pitfall, hitting the prettiest moonsault ever for the win, so Tiffany is the first woman actually entered into the Iron Survivor matchup at deadline. Tiffany and Fallon, they had a good match. Uh, Fallon, she took some nice heavy hits in this match. Um, she... Got through out of the ring, literally from the midsection, like the middle of the ropes. You'll see Tiffany hold uh, Fallon in her arms, throw her out of the ring. She, Her body just hits a nice thud outside of the ring. That sounded like it hurt, like, bad. And then you'll see later, towards the end, when Tiffany would hit the prettiest move so ever on Fallon, it seemed that Tiffany's knee kind of clipped Fallon in the head, and Fallon kind of was not going to say out, but you could see whenever she got clipped in the head with the knee, her face kind of made a face. And once Tiffany pinned her, one, two, three, after that was done, you could see Tiffany kind of looking over at Fallon just to kind of see if she was okay, good or not, but still keeping in the whole character of Tiffany Stratton. So I did like that the competitor still kind of looked after the person there in the ring went because wrestling, you're supposed to do that. You're supposed to care for your uh, opponent, your dance partner, so I like that there, but again, Tiffany and Fallon, they had a good match to uh, do this qualifying match for the women, and again, NXT, they have solid bona fide women down there, Tiffany's one of them, Fallon's one of them, I like what they're doing with those two, especially with the rivalry that they've been having for the past couple weeks, so I like that, but I also like that the person behind the Tiffany uh, character kind of cared about Fallon. You can see it after the pin was over. You can see it literally in her face. So I'm glad that uh, 
was shown there. Now, next up, we have Braun Breaker going against Von Wagner, who have Mr. Stone in his corner. Now, this match was supposedly supposed to be a referee's discretion match because the referee will come out of Sean's office earlier in the night. He'll have an interview with the cameraman. The cameraman asked him what was uh, the conversation with Sean. He said that Sean gave him the authority to kind of let them do their thing, but with the referee uh, discretion. So I would thought there was going to be like some chair shots, some uh, steel steps used, all that type of stuff because of the way that Vaughn and Braun have been going after one another. But that doesn't happen here. This was like your standard wrestling match. Yeah, sure, they went outside the ring, they threw each other into the stairs, but like no type of chairs were used here. The only dirty tactic that was used that uh, Braun low-blowed Von Wagner whenever the referee didn't see it because the referee was dealing with Mr. Stone. But like that's the only dirty thing that actually was used in this match. Uh, Braun would win the match by pinfall hitting Von Wagner with a spear. So we have that. After the match, Mr. Stone, he would hit Braun Breaker in the back with a steel chair. Braun would eat it, and he would go after Stone. He would be next to Stone um, at the commentary table, put his hands on Stone's throat, start talking smack to him, and behind Braun Breaker was Von Wagner. Von would turn Braun around, kick him in the gut, then powerbomb him through the commentary table. So Von Wagner was the last man uh, standing with the last laugh over Braun Breaker. So even though he didn't win the match, he still got the last da- uh, last laugh. That was cool that they did that for Braun. And I understand why he lost, because you're not going to have a man that was out with his head being busted by the opposition, a.k.a. Braun Breaker, come back to win the match. He still doesn't got his wind underneath his feet. So him losing to Braun Breaker shouldn't hurt him, and especially the way that they went at it with one another. So, again, Vaughn should still be fine. Now, next up, we had Alexa Lopez and Lola Vice going against Roxanne Perez and Kalani Jordan. Roxanne and Kalani would win the match by pinfall when Roxanne would hit Alexa with Pot Rocks and tagging Kalani to hit the split-legged moonsault for the win. Cool. Next up, we had Otis with Alpha Academy in his corner going against Drew Gulak, who have Damon Kemp, Charlie Dempsey, and Miles Bourne in his corner. Otis would win the match by pinfall, hitting a double-handed pop-up uh, power bomb for the win. So we have that. Alpha Academy is going to be back on NXT next week when they're going to be the special guests of Noam Dar's little uh, Supernova session. So expect more Alpha Academy hijinks on NXT next week with Metaphor. After that, we'll get into the men's Iron Survivor qualifying matchup. Tyler Bate going against Dijak. Dijak will win the match by pinfall, catching Tyler Bate with when Tyler will come off the second turnbuckle and then hit him with Feast Your Eyes for the win. So, Dijak's the first man to qualify into the Iron Survival uh, matchup at deadline for the men. More qualified matches, as I said, are coming in the weeks to come. Now, we move over to our main event segment. Carmelo Hayes, Trick Williams. Carmelo will come out to the ring. He doesn't waste any time. He calls Trick Williams out. Trick will come to the ring. We get to the brass tacks of it all. Uh, Trick, he's kind of dancing around a little bit. He kind of mentions how he uh, has always been this kind of like sidekick to Mello. He's always been there for Mello. He's done whatever he has to do for Mello to make sure that Mello always didn't miss. Mello would second that saying, yeah, you're right. You were always there for me. You've been my right hand. Whenever it was me and you, we were Shaq and Kobe, uh, Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen, all the basketball greatness references here. 
But the main point is that Trick wanted to be the man. Trick finally started to be the man. He started to have the ball. It started to have the spotlight shined on him. And Trick felt that Mello was being selfish. He was being greedy. And that he wasn't being a true friend the way that Trick was. And Trick would mention how whenever he was attacked, Mello wasn't around. Where was he? And he mentions how I don't remember anything. I don't know who attacked me because the only thing I know is I felt uh, somebody hit me behind my head. I went down. I go into an ambulance. I hear your voice and that's about it. And then we get this face on Mello and he's looking like, hold up. Did you just, and he asked Trick, like, hold up, say that again. You mean to tell me you don't know who attacked you? So it's starting to seem that Mello is kind of being relieved here because throughout this little segment between Mello and Trick, as I said, Trick would kind of dance around the accusation of Mello attacking him, and he would almost go to ask Mello, did he attack him? And Mello would kind of always stop him, and that's where we're at. So when we finally get to the point where Trick says, I don't even know who attacked me. Mello has him say it again. Hold on, so you don't know who attacked you. And Trick, he's getting a little bit irate at this. And Trick is about to ask Mello finally what everybody wants to know. Did you attack me? But before he could do that, Lexus King will come down to the ring. Lexus King, he will get himself involved in <laughs> men's business. And you both have Mello and Trick telling Lexus, yo, you need to get out of here. This doesn't involve you. Real adults are talking right now. Lexus still wouldn't care. He would talk. He would say that you don't know who attacked you. Maybe it was a buddy of yours. Maybe it was someone that just debuted, wanted to make an impact. And he's kind of like trying to lean it into the way that it's him. And he looks Trick and I and he tells Trick, I want you to say it. I want you to say what you think. Do you think that Melo attacked you? Now, as Lexus is basically goading Trick into saying something. Trick wouldn't handle it anymore, and he just straight up just punches, well, aims to punch Lexus, but Lexus will move out of the way, and Trick inadvertently hits Carmelo. So Melo will go down, Lexus King will leave out of the ring, Trick would try to help Melo up. At first, Melo would slap the hand of Trick away, and we would get the audible of fans going, ooh, like, okay, high schoolers. So then Trick would once again extend his hand out to his boy Mello to help him up and say, you know, I didn't mean to do that. And Mello, he would take his boy's hand and Trick would pull Mello up and then Mello would get a hug by Trick. And you just see in the camera the way that they have it, Mello, he's angry. You can see the anger in his face. So we don't know if he's angry about getting punched in the face, which he probably is, but if he's also angry at the fact that Trick said that he doesn't know who attacked him and right now he's being blamed for attracting Trick or that Melo is upset that he lost the chance to win NXT title last week because Trick went out there last week and that we all thought that Trick was going to confront Melo for being the guy that attacked him. So there's a lot of ways that NXT could go about this with Melo being upset. But we have to wait and see because right now the big mystery for NXT still is who attacked Trick Williams. Was it Melo? Was it someone else? Was it someone like Lexus King? Me, I'm still going with the idea that if it was not Melo, I would like it for it to be Wesley. Because, again, them dropping Easter eggs a couple months ago with Wes being in the locker room when Melo and Trick were having their little problems backstage. 
it would be great. And also to see a different side of Wesley, that would be great too. Seeing him always happy being a jovial guy, it's not a bad thing because Wes is, looks like he is a happy-go-lucky type guy. He likes to have fun. But just to see a different character change from Wes, I think it will be great. But again, we'll have to wait and see. They got different ways you can go about it. As I said, you can go with Mello, you can go with Lexus, or if it was me, I would probably go with the Wesley bit. But we'll just wait and see. Now, with that being said, that was your NXT Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now, before I get into AEW Dynamite, I have to talk about Collision, what the big important things that happened were on Collision. Uh, the first big thing was that Lance Archer and Jake Roberts now have a super group, or at least starting to form one. Uh, Jake Roberts have now inquired the Righteous into his group. So we have Lance Archer and the Righteous with Jake Roberts all together. I think this, well, four-man unit, basically three men, because only three of them are going to be wrestling while Jake Roberts will probably be the mouthpiece of the group. Um, I think they're going to do well. I think AEW is trying to put some guys together just so they can get airtime so they can at least find something to do with all three of the guys. And I'm not mad at it because, again, as long as you have talent compete on television and have them do something, I think talent will be fine until they want something bigger. And right now, Lance Archer, he hasn't been getting, he has not been getting a lot of airtime. He just started to come back getting some airtime. And now him with Jake Roberts and the Righteous being together. I see that as a good fit, at least for right now. Um, also, on Collision, you had the main event, which was FTR and LFI, which was um, Roosh and Preston Vance going against the Gates of Agony and Ricky Starks and Bill, Big Bill. FTR and LFI would win the match by pinfall. After the match, LFI will leave FTR in the ring. FTR will try to shake their... Well, get LFI to shake their hands. LFI would say, nah, we're good. Walk out of the ring. The lights will go out on the Titan Tron. House of Black is there just to antagonize FTR, saying that there's more to the legacy than championships. And they're trying to give that to FTR, but if FTR isn't willing to accept their proposition, well, they're just going to beat it into them. So once the lights pop back on, you would see House of Black in the ring behind FTR. They start beating up on FTR. Uh, Blackpool Comic Club which was consist of Claudio and Wheeler. They will come down to the ring to make the save, and House of Black will leave the ring, so that's that. Also on Collision, uh, to start off, we had Swerve and AR Fox had a great match, and it was set up Swerve going against Penta on Dynamite, which I will talk about. And what else happened? Uh, I think that's it. So with the big stuff of Collision out the way, let's get to Dynamite. Dynamite, the first thing before I get into the matches... We would get some backstage promos. The first backstage promo we would get of the night was MGF talking to Tony Schiavone. And again, he would have to FaceTime Adam Cole. Adam Cole would again tell MGF that he wished he could be there. All that good stuff. Roddy and the kingdom would roll around. And Roddy still doing the whole complaining me bit. Saying that MGF should pick him and the kingdom to watch his back. MGF says, nah, he's good. Adam Cole would tell MGF that he would suggest Samoa Joe to watch MGF back. Even though MGF doesn't want it, Adam, as his best friend, would tell, yo, you need to pick Samoa Joe. MGF would say, nah, I don't like that. You, This is your second week suggesting that. I'm not doing it. MGF, he would send Roddy in the kingdom about their way. Daniel Garcia would walk up to MGF. MGF would ask Daniel Garcia 
listen, I picked you to have our match for the world title because it's all about changing the way of the business. You're a young guy. I'm a young guy. And AEW is all about the future. And I see you as being the future. Now, the question would be, will we get Diego Garcia, the pro wrestler, or the sports entertainer? Daniel Garcia would tell MJF that you were going to get the pro wrestler, so that's what we will be getting from Daniel Garcia going against MJF. Now, that's the first promo uh, that we would get of the night. The next uh, big promo of the night would be uh, Chris Jericho, Kenny Omega backstage talking about their upcoming match against Don Callis' family next week in a street fight, and then you see the Young Bucks walk up on Kenny and Jericho, Matt Jackson, does majority of the talking. Again, he's still not liking that Kenny is taking away his time from being with the elite to team up and be now with Chris Jericho. And you tell that Matt has more of a problem with it. Nick has a problem too, but Matt, he's more of the mouthpiece for the Young Bucks, so he talks about it. Um, Jericho, he uh, would tell the Young Bucks, hey, cool it down. You guys are acting like children, spoiled children. Uh, it all comes to pass that the Young Bucks would challenge, basically, Kenny and uh, Jericho to a match of full gear and a tag match. Jericho would say, okay, when we win, we want your AEW World Tag Team title shots that you guys have been sitting on. Young Bucks would agree to that, but they would add that when the Young Bucks win, this whole thing between Kenny and Jericho, this thing would end. That tag team would just be completely erased, and that Kenny could finally get back to doing the elite business. So we have that. Kenny would tell Young Bucks, listen, you guys are the greatest tag team without a shadow of a doubt, but we already went down this path before. And he starts naming him and Ibushi beating the Young Bucks, him and Hangman beating the Young Bucks. And now he's saying that him and Jericho can beat the Young Bucks, and that when they do this, Hopefully, the Young Bucks will stop acting like spoiled, bratty children. So, we have that match made for full gear. Also, what what else happened? Oh, yeah. The new assignee of AEW will be stardom wrestler Mar- uh, Mariah May. I don't know much about Mariah May. I don't really watch Joshi wrestling, like Japanese uh, women's wrestling. No disrespect to them. I just don't watch it like that. Um, I'm going to have to learn on the fly about Mariah May. I'll probably do more research about her this upcoming weekend to see her matches, but uh, it got the internet buzzing, so that means something good. The biggest thing about Mariah May that I do know about her now in AEW is that she's looks like she's in a angle trying to basically stalk Tony Storm. She mentioned that she went to Japan to uh, be like Tony Storm. She only went to Japan because she saw Tony Storm was in Japan, and she's following the footsteps of Tony. So now she's in AEW because Tony Storm is here. So as I said before, Mariah May, she looks like she's going to be in the stalker type uh, gimmick with Tony Storm. We'll have to see if that's going to come to fruition. Any other backstage stuff that happened? Uh, yeah, one more big thing, but I'll wait to that to the end. Okay, now let's get to the matches. The first match that will happen on Dynamite will be the World Championship match. The champion MJF going against Diego Garcia, who have 2.0 in his corner. MJF will retain his championship by submission, making Dave Garcia tap out to the salt of the earth armbar after uh, getting out of the Dragon Tamer, which is basically a sharpshooter. MJF and Dave Garcia they had a good match. As I said, this was basically two young guys facing each other off 
for the world championship. And they would mention on commentary that this is the first time in AEW history that two guys under the age of 30 are competing for the world title. So that kind of made history for Daniel Garcia and MJF. MJF, he does his stuff. I think this is more of a show-off, show-out match for Daniel Garcia. The fans are loving Daniel Garcia. People love Daniel. People love him doing his dance. Uh, Daniel, he put in a lot of work on MJF, but MJF, he will work over the arm of Daniel Garcia in this match, which gave him basically the win. So, as I said, good match between MJF and Daniel Garcia to start off. Dynamite after the match. Uh, MJF would try to extend his hand out to Daniel Garcia to shake it. Daniel Garcia wanted to shake it, but 2.0 would get in the ring and stop Daniel Garcia from doing so. MJF would tell Daniel Garcia, you're going to let these two guys guide you still, or are you going to be your own man? And you would think that Daniel Garcia is going to shake MJF's hands again because he was moved past 2.0, started walking towards MJF, about to shake his hand, but again, 2.0 would pull Daniel Garcia away, and he would start walking up the ramp. So it seems Daniel Garcia wants to start beating his own man, but he still listens to the ear 2.0 here. So we have that going on in MGF. He just wants to build up the future of AEW. So that's what MGF basically did for this match for Daniel Garcia. Help put him on another uh, platform. And I'm glad MGF was, was able to do that for Daniel Garcia. Now, the next match that will happen will be a tag match. Sting and Darby Allen going against the Outrunners. Sting and Darby would win the match by submission. Sting will lock in the Scorpion Deathlock on one of the Outrunners to make him tap out. Great, as this gives Darby and Sting momentum as they go into collision, because this will be the first time that Sting, Darby, and Adam Copeland will be teaming up together because they got to get a practice run because they will be going against Jake Roberts' a team of Lance Archer and the Righteous on collision. As, as I said, Sting, Darby, Adam Copeland are getting this as a test run because they have to face Christian Cage, Luchasaurus, and Nick Wayne at full gear. So, I can't wait to see how this match is going to work, to be honest with you, because I would like to see how Sting, Darby, and Adam Copeland is going to actually function together, and I would like to see how Lance Archer and the Righteous are going to function together. Now, next up, we will have Swerve Strickland with Prince Nana in his corner going against Penta, who have Alex Everhentes in his corner, and Swerve would win the match by pinfall, hitting the Swerve Stomp for the win. Swerve and Penta put on one hell of a match. Um, these, these two guys have... Great chemistry, and they know each other from their time in Lucha Underground. If you didn't watch Lucha Underground, find it. I mean, it used to be on Netflix at one point. I'm not sure if it's still on Netflix now. Um, Try to find Lucha Underground if you can, because that was the first introduction of people actually know who Penta was. This was my first time I ever knew of who Penta was. I knew some of the people that were on Lucha Underground, because, again, they were on the independent scene, and independent scene at the time was big. So... You knew who some of the people were if you were watching independent stuff, but Lucha Underground was my first like understanding of who uh, Penta was, and actually my first time seeing Swerve actually competing. I knew who Swerve was because I like followed his time from when he was in Combat Zone Wrestling, CZW, a Philadelphia promotion. I followed him from there, but um, after that, I couldn't really keep up with him because I wasn't able to watch, well, they didn't have wrestling on streaming sites like that, but... I was still, from time to time, able to keep up with Swerve, but not as much as I was able to from then, from Lucha Underground to basically now. But, <clears throat> anywho, the match between Swerve and Penta, great match. Uh, Penta, he would snap the arm of uh, Swerve in this. Swerve would pay him back by doing it later in the, na- in the match. Uh, 
those two guys have great chemistry with one another. Anytime Penta would do a dirty tactic, Swerve would do a dirty tactic to him. So again, these two guys, they know what each other are doing. Again, great match. Go watch it. Um, after the match, though, Adam Page would come in the ring with a chair. Page would scare off Swerve and Nana, and Swerve and Nana would start running up the ramp. Adam would strike Swerve in the back. Nana would run for his life. And once Nana leaves, you see Adam start attacking uh, Swerve over and over with the chair until security will come out. Now you see Adam Page hit security with the chair, and he goes back to Swerve. He picks Swerve up, hit him with a dead eye off the ramp through a table. So, as I said before, I think their match at Full Gear is going to be a stipulation match. I don't think it's going to be a simple one-on-one match between the two, because as I said after Swerve broke into Hangman Page's home, I believe two weeks ago, you're not just going to do a regular one-on-one match. This is going to piss any type of guy off, anybody that respects their family and love their family as much as a person does. You're going to want blood on your hands. So I expect their match at Full Gear to be a stipulation. As I said, as of right now, there has not been a stipulation added, but Tony Khan still got time. He might introduce it on Collision or next week on Dynamite. Who knows? But I suspect Adam Page... Heyman Page going to swerve on uh, full gear will have some type of stipulation match. Now, next up, we have the Ring of Honor TV Championship match. Uh, Samoa Joe defending the title against Keith Lee. Samoa Joe would retain his championship by referee Savage when Joe will lock in the Kikina Clutch on Keith, and Keith would pass out. Keith would try to fight out of the Kikina Clutch, but it was just too much. Uh, swerve Keith Lee had a great match. Two big guys just basically bumping and beating up one another. Um, yeah, there's no much I really can say to that. I mean, you 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 know what to expect from Keith and uh, Samoa Joe match. It's two big guys basically just going at one another. I mean, what more can you say? If you like hostile matches, like two big guys just doing what they do to one another, this is the type of match for you. I liked it, so there you have it. Now, the interesting part about this is that after the match was over, Samoa Joe will get a microphone to let everyone know that he is relinquishing the TV championship after Samoa Joe has now held it for 575 days, making him the longest reigning ROH TV champion. Also to note, Samoa Joe is still the longest reigning uh, Ring of Honor champion in one reign, not combined reigns, one singular reign. He is still the longest reigning Ring of Honor champion. So now he holds two records in Ring of Honor. That's a great thing for Samoa Joe. But he really goes to TV title because he has now officially announced that he is going after the Ring of Honor, not Ring of Honor, God, the AEW World Championship because he's hungry. And he wants that AEW World Championship because Max has it. And he wants to take that title away from Max. And he still wants to be the king of the castle. So we have that going on here. And we would get a video package from Warlow. Warlow is still going after MGF as well. He says that the devil won't know what hit him when it happens because when it happens, it will be too late. So MGF still has a barrage of opponents that are gunning for basically him in that world championship. So that's interesting to note. Next up, we will have the Guns with Juice Robinson in their corner going against the Bollywood Boys. The Guns would win this match in quick fashion by hitting 310 to Yuma on one of the Bollywood boys to win the match. After the match, the Guns will claim that they're going to win the Ring of Honor tag team titles away from MGF at full gear. It doesn't matter who MGF picks as a partner. They're going to win the titles. Now, once that promo is over, we go backstage. You see MGF standing next to Samoa Joe looking at the screen, and MGF 
would have a like pissed looking face while Samoa Joe, on the other hand, he's just smiling ear to ear because he knows that MJF, as I said before, has have enemies lined up just waiting for his downfall. Guns, Warlow himself, Jay White, and multiple other people just gunning for him. And MJF needs friends. And right now, he has no friends. So it seems that MJF might be looking forward or looking towards Samoa Joe to be a friend, to at least team up with him. But that was not confirmed here because MJF would walk away and Samoa Joe still will be having a smile on his face. Now, next up, we will have Rev Velvet going against Julia Hart. This is Rev Velvet's first time on AEW since she had a knee injury because she's uh, has a knee brace on her knee. Uh, Julia Hart would win the match by pinfall, hitting a moonsault. After the match, Julia will lock in Heartless on Red Velvet until Sky Blue would run down to the ring to make the save. You have, you would have uh, Julia and Sky lock eyes with each other and just start staring at each other. Then you have Willow Nightingale and Chris Statlander run down to the ring. Willow will look after Red Velvet as Chris would stand in front of Sky Blue to look at Julia. And Sky would have a look on her face as she would sidestep and look at Chris. Now it seems that both Sky Blue and Julia are looking at Chris Statlander. Julia Hart, she would walk past Chris and walk out of the ring and walk to the back. And then you would see Chris Statlander look at Sky and Chris would leave the ring. So there's some tension between Sky Blue and Chris Statlander because Sky doesn't like Chris. She doesn't like that Chris probably still is a TBS championship, and she probably wants that TBS championship. And also, Sky still has some beef with Julia Hart. She still has that evil venom still running through her because Sky got misted by Julia some time ago. So she's still wearing that makeup on her face from the mist. So we have this within these three ladies. I could probably suspect a triple threat match at full gear or probably all in like the what, pre-show of Full Gear for the TBS title? It's going to be one of those two. That's what I'm suspecting, to be honest. Now, on to the main event, Mark Briscoe going against Jay White with Bullet Club Gold in Jay White's corner. And the thing for this was that if Mark Briscoe wins, he would take Jay White's spot in Full Gear to face MJF for the AEW World Championship. But that would not happen because Jay White would win the match by pinfall by executing the Blade Runner for the win. This was a good match between... Jay White and Mark Briscoe. Mark Briscoe got a lot of offense off here. Uh, he got a lot of moves off on Jay White here. Jay White was still able to execute and do his signature stuff, but Mark, he was just able to wrestle. And you don't really get that out of Mark Briscoe that much. I mean, they give him time to wrestle, but this is his time since he came back. I believe it was a knee surgery or some type of knee problem he had with himself, maybe. There's some type of injury that he had that took him out from uh, the middle of the year to now. So with Mark Briscoe now being back, they're starting to put him in matches. That's good. I'm glad they gave him this match against Jay White because him and Jay both have history with one another. And even Mark Briscoe would acknowledge that in a video package before this match even happened. So when we have this match, you know the history between the two. You see how they're countering each other moves. You see how... They're going at each other. Is going at. It seems that these are just people that knows each other's uh, moves by history. So that's just basically how this match went down. But Jay White wins. He still has his match against MGF at full gear. Now, after the match, Bullet Club Gold will be in the ring. 
MGF's music would hit, Bullet Club would look at the ramp because that's usually where the superstars would come down, but that's not what happens here. MGF, he would be in the ring behind Bullet Club Gold. He would have the Dynamite Diamond Ring on his finger, and once the guns turn around, MGF would pop each member of the guns with the Dynamite Diamond Ring and also Juice with the Dynamite Diamond Ring, and now it's down to just MGF and Jay White. Jay White would slide out of the ring. MGF would kick the ropes. He would grab a microphone, start giving an inspirational uh, speech saying that he's, for the first time in his career, he is fighting for someone or something bigger than himself. He's fighting for uh, the people. He's fighting for the people at home, the people in the crowd, the people in the back. He's basically just wants to be better than what he was originally because he is now everyone's scumbag. He has now embraced the people because the people embrace him. So that's basically MGF's whole motivational speech here for saying now how he's going to win at Full Gear to still be your AEW World Champion. Now, once MGF is done doing this inspirational uh, speech, the lights will go off, and in the back, you will see four guys in black beating up on the acclaim. They would grab Anthony Bowens, throw him through a glass uh, wall, and you just see them leaving the acclaim on the ground. Then the lights would still go out, but then the uh, camera video would flicker. You'll see the man in the devil mask lift his head up. Doesn't unmask, he just lifts his head up, and then it just goes back to the ring. The lights are back on. MJF would leave the ring, start sprinting to the back. He sees the acclaim on the ground. He starts kicking his feet because the acclaim were people that actually did care about Max, at least Max Caster did. Max Caster cared about MGF, so the Acclaim cared about MGF because of uh, Max. So with the Acclaim down, MGF is kicking his feet. He's trying to look after them. Samoa Joe will walk up, and again, Samoa Joe would say, man, it seems that everybody that wants to help you is down, and it seems like you're running out of friends, at least not this one. So Samoa Joe would say this. He will walk away, starts laughing menacingly, and MGF is now just looking at the turmoil that's left behind him. So that's how Dynamite will end. Excalibur did make a nice, uh, he made a nice note of this, saying that anybody that has helped MGF has been taken out. And he's talking about the acclaim. And you know the funny part? MGF wants to get rid of Roderick Strong in the kingdom so much, he could just literally say that, yeah, they're helping me. And then the next thing you know, he could have, well, not him telling the people to do it, but just by proxy because anybody that's helping MGF gets taken out. He can have his problems of Roderick Strong and the Kingdom kind of get washed away with them get taken out by the guys in black if it's not the Kingdom and Roderick Strong. Because the big question mark still is, who are the guys behind the, well, attacks? Who's the people behind the black ski mask and the black clothing and all that stuff? Who's doing the attacking? Who's attacking the people that's helping Max out? That's the big question, and still the big question is who's behind the devil mask. Still, we have no idea. There's a lot of assumptions for a lot of people. People still think it's Adam Cole. I don't know who it could be. I'm going to be interesting to see how it's going to be because they still got basically next week until full gear happens to kind of make this stuff go about, and they might reveal who's behind the devil mask at full gear, or they could wait until their final pay-per-view of the year. Uh, but we'll have to wait and see. So with that... 
That's your AEW Dynamite Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now we move over to Impact Wrestling. Impact would open up with Tasha Steeles going against Deanna Perrazzo. Tasha Steeles would win the match by pinfall by hitting two cutters for the win. This was a good match to open up Impact. You had a team that was only together for a little bit of time because Tasha Steeles and Deanna, they went as a team to try to face MK Ultra for the Impact uh, Knockouts Tag Team Titles at Bound for Glory. They failed to win it, so that's the reason why we had this match here. And also Tasha Steeles and Deanna Perrazzo are top two women in the knockouts division so to have them start impact wrestling off it was great it wasn't all the way serious because commentary would let everybody know that tasha steels and diana they have a friendship inside the ring and outside of the ring as well they trained with each other for some time so they would take it easy and have some fun with this match but tasha steels still was here to win the same thing with diana Perazzo. so tasha getting the win is great, and also I hope that this launches Tasha Steeles more into the ranks of the Knockouts division. Now, next up, we have the Impact Digital Media Championship. Uh, Crazy Steve will go against the champion, Tommy Dreamer. Tommy Dreamer would lose a match by disqualification when Tommy would use the fork that Crazy Steve brought into the match and hit Crazy Steve in the forehead with the fork. Now, this was a solid okay match between Crazy Steve and Tommy Dreamer. Um, no more to really say about this. The only big thing that came about this was like Tom Dreamer using the fork on Crazy Steve to spike him in the head. So you're more than likely going to get a match between uh, Crazy Steve and Tom Dreamer somewhere down the line. Probably a hardcore match for the Impact uh, Digital Media Championship because Crazy Steve, he didn't, he didn't like lose the match. He won it by disqualification, but he does not hold the championship. The championship doesn't change on disqualifications or ring outs or anything like that. The only time you change it over is by uh, submissions or pins. So Crazy Steve has a championship match uh, down the line in the future. At least that's what I'm thinking. Now, next up, we have Brian Myers going against Joe Hendry. Brian Myers would win the match by pinfall by raking the eyes of Joe Hendry when the referee was distracted, then hit him with the roster cut, which is a clothesline to win the match. Saw a match between Joe Hendry and Brian Myers here. Um, next up, we have Eddie Edwards with Alicia Edwards in his corner going against Eric Young. This is basically two guys that have been representing Impact Wrestling, TNA Wrestling, whatever you want to call this uh, promotion or whatever name you know this promotion as. These are literally the two longest reigning guys to actually just hold the flagship of TNA. So Eddie Edwards, he will lose his match to Eric Young by pinfall, thanks to Alicia Edwards, and this is all by a accident. When Eric Young was in control of the match, Alicia would slide a chair into the ring. Eddie Edwards would grab it, but the ref would take it away from Eddie. This was a ploy for Eddie to grab Eric and uh, hold Eric so Alicia could hit Eric Young with the kindle stick. Now, as Eddie's holding Eric, Alicia would swing the kindle stick. Eric would move. And Alicia would hit Eddie. And then this allowed Eric Young to hit Eddie Edwards with a pile driver to win the match. Solid match between Eric uh, Young and Eddie Edwards. I thought it was okay. I thought it was fine. I just think that this, again, sets it up for basically who was the real standard bearer, the real flagship like wave guy of Impact, TNA Wrestling, whatever it may have you. Because Eddie Edwards and Eric Young, if I'm not mistaken, I think they're like the two longest tenure guys on the actual Impact 
uh, roster. Like, from people coming in and leaving, I think Eric Young and, like, Eddie are literally the two longest guys on the roster. So for them to have this match here, I think that's what set the precedence for this match. And it was solid. Now, next up, we had a complete squash. It was Dirty Dango and Oleg Prudius, better known as uh, Vladimir Kozlov from WWE time, with Johnny Bravo in their corner going against two scrubs. Oleg would do majority, no, not majority, he did all of the work except for the finishing move. Uh, Oleg would tag in Dango. Dango would come in. He would hit one of the guys with a reverse DDT to win the match for his team. So, Dirty Dango, he just used an old leg to be his big muscle, so Dango doesn't really have to wrestle, and that's fine, because that works with the Dirty Dango uh, character. He doesn't really care about professional wrestling, he's just here to collect a paycheck, and that's just about it. So, if we're going to continue to use Oleg Prudius for this, I'm cool with it, but he's not going to be taking a lot of bumps. He, he doesn't look like he's going to take a lot of bumps, that's what I did. If he ends up taking bumps... The way the PCO's taking bumps, and I don't think he's gonna be taking bumps the way the PCO's doing it. That'll be crazy, but I don't expect Oleg to be an impact for long, if I'm just gonna be honest with you. I think he's just here for a certain amount of time until Dirty Dango kind of pisses him off, and then Oleg is gonna go after Dango and probably beat up on Dango, and this will probably be the last you see of Oleg. So we haven't gotten there yet. This is still the beginning of the partnership that uh Dango has with Oleg, so we still got some time, at least. I think we do. Now, we go to our main event. It's the Impact World Championship match between the champion, Alex Shelley, going against the challenger, Jonathan Gresham. Alex Shelley would retain his Impact World Championship by pinfall by hitting Jonathan Gresham with a super kick, then bringing him in for a shell shock to retain his championship. Jonathan Gresham and Alex Shelley had a great match uh, to end Impact Wrestling here in the main event. Jonathan Gresham, he employed a lot of dirty tactics, um, he used the wrist tape to choke Alex Shelley at one point in this match. He used the wrist tape again as a distraction to throw it onto the mat. The referee would then grab that piece of wrist tape, throw it outside of the ring, and while the referee's doing this, Jonathan Gresham would hit Shelley in the nuts. So you saw a lot of dirty maneuvering from Jonathan Gresham here against Alex Shelley, even though still Jonathan Gresham and Alex Shelley still did some mat work that Jonathan Gresham is good at and also Alex Shelley is good at, but you just got to see... A little bit more of nasty tactics from Jonathan Gresham. And that's all Jonathan Gresham was trying to expose to everyone. And that's what his whole big thing was. Is that people have been cheating. People have not been following the rules. So he's thinking to himself and he's been saying to himself, why does he have to follow the rules? So now you're starting to see him just deplore dirty, nasty tactics. So that's the way of Jonathan Gresham here. But it does not get the job done because Alex Shelley is still your reigning Impact World Champion, and that's how Impact would end. Now, next week on Impact, you should probably watch it, because next week on Impact, we're going to have Jonathan Gresham going against Will Ospreay. We're going to have uh, Sonny Kiss going against Trinity. I believe it's for the Impact Knockouts Championship. And also, we're going to have the debut of Myron Reed teaming up with uh, God, Trey Miguel, and Zachary Wentz going against three... Uh, luchadors i can't remember the luchadors names right now but the big thing for me was myra reads on impact wrestling and this was something that i have been saying since what i believe trey miguel was exhibition champion before he lost the belt i wanted impact to bring in zachary wentz and uh myron reed to be with 
Trey Miguel and how Trey Miguel kind of be the centerpiece of the Rascals or this newfound three-man group that they had before, well, that they're having now. But that's not the case right now. I think the three guys, Myron, uh, Trey, and Zachary, I think there's going to be three guys just teaming up and just being around one another because they actually do have a friendship outside of the ring and they actually are known as the Rascals on the independence as well. So I'm glad that they brought Myron Reed here and I'm glad that we're getting to see all three of these guys here in Impact because Impact is the place where you get to shine and uh, polish yourself up so that if WWE or AEW wants to take you, they have the opportunity when your contract or whenever your uh, deal is up with Impact in any way, form, or fashion. But again, I'm happy that they're doing this. I'm happy that Myron's with his boys and they're going to have fun on Impact I'm pretty sure they're going to do that. Um, and Will Osprey versus Jonathan Gresham. No, not Jonathan Gresham. God. Josh Alexander next week should be a good match, so I'll be watching that more for that match, but also for the Rascals as well. So with that, that's your Impact Wrestling, Wrestling Highlights of the week. Now we head over to SmackDown, and first thing to note, Kevin Owens will be on commentary for at least 90% of the show. I'll get to you the reason why the other 10% he wasn't on there, but the reason why Kevin Owens was on commentary for the show was that Corey Graves, he was not able to be there because his wife, Carmella, gave birth to their son on Wednesday. So Corey Graves was with Carmella. So congratulations to the happy couple for the birth of their uh, son. Now, SmackDown will open up with LWO coming down to the ring. It's Rey Mysterio, Santos, Joaquin Wilde, Toro Cruz, and uh, Selena Vega. Ray will talk about Logan Paul cheating at Crown Jewel using the brass knuckles. Ray will say that he plans on getting a rematch for the United States title. Carlito would then come down to the ring, and Carlito would tell Ray that he seriously isn't going to talk about it. He doesn't want to talk about the big elephant in the room. So Carlito would say that uh, Ray shouldn't blame Logan for what happened at Crown Jewel. He should be blaming Santos Escobar. And what they're talking about is that Santos... Uh, took the brass knuckles that Logan Paul's lackey left on the floor and he would grab the brass knuckles and place it on the ring. And instead of taking it with him, he just left them there so Logan can actually like take it when Santos was like chasing the lackey away from the ring. So Carlito would say that. Santos would uh, look at Carlito, Carlito and Santos will start getting in each other's face and the LWO will start separating both of the guys. Uh, Santos, he would leave the ring. He would say that you are choosing this guy over me and Ray and Selena will have to give chase after Santos. And this would lead to our first match tonight, which would be Carlito with Cruz and Joaquin Wilde in his corner, going against Bobby Lashley, who had the Street Profits in his corner. Bobby would win the match by pinfall thanks to the Street Profits interfering when the Street Profits would be fighting Cruz and Wild outside of the ring. Santos, he would run down to the ring to give some backup, but uh, Dawkins would take care of Santos. Montez Ford would kick Carlito in the head. This allowed Bobby to hit Carlito with the spear to win the match. So we have that after the match, though. Bobby and the Street Profits would continue to beat up on Carlito. Santos Escobar, he would get on the ring apron and he would just stare. And he would just watch as all this is happening. Rey Mysterio, he would come down to the ring with a chair and make the save. Bobby and his cohorts would leave the ring and like go to the back. Rey would then go over to Santos and ask him what's wrong with him. Santos would plead 
saying that Carlito isn't familiar. He isn't part of the LWO. Ray would tell Santos that they all are one, and he would try to walk away from Santos. Santos would grab Ray by the arm and say he isn't familiar, and he's just trying to understand why Ray is really caring for Santos. Ray would have to give Santos a shove and say, we are all as one. You need to quit with this. So Ray would go over to Carlito, ask him he's okay. Uh, Santos, he would attack Ray from behind, and he would just hit him with a form. No more, no less. He would then have some remorse on his face. He'll grab Ray and say, I'm sorry. Ray would get up and start hitting Santos two in the face, then in the chest, and this would knock Santos onto the apron. And now Ray, he's having some remorse because families, they do fight. He would go over to Santos. He would tell him he's sorry. He got out of hand. And now we're getting this side of Santos that's angry. And he would just shove Ray into the ring post. And Ray would drop onto the steel steps. And one of his legs was caught in between the steel steps and the ring post. Santos, he's now having an angry look on his face. He would run and drop kick the steel steps and just look at Ray for a minute. He would grab Ray by the fist and say, it was always supposed to be me and you. Me and you. And Selena, she will come over and start pushing Santos, saying, what are you doing? This isn't right. This is your fault. Santos would tell Selena, this isn't my fault. This is his fault. She would tell him again, nope, this is your fault. And now you see Santos starts walking up to the back. He's just pleading with everyone, this is not his fault. None of this was ever supposed to happen like this. So we have this with Santos. Santos is feeling jealousy. Santos wants to be LWO. Well, he is LWO, but he wants it to keep it in one stimulus group. But now you got someone like Carlito basically saying, you know, this is uh, Santos' fault while you're not the champion. That kind of caused a rift in LWO, and which will kind of fracture it because we'll go to commercial break. And when we come back, we see Santos with his luggage rolling out. The interviewer asked Santos why he attacked Ray. Santos would say that Ray had this coming. And he would just leave the arena. So within the next couple of weeks, you can kind of guess where they're going with this. Uh, Santos probably going to try to take the LWO. Because remember, LWO was created with Rey Mysterio going over to uh, God LDF. God, uh, what was it? God, Legado del Fantasma. And that's what the LWO was. It was Ray Jordan Legado and they rebranded it under the LWO banner. So I could see Santos pleading with his uh, Legato family saying, hey, you're supposed to be with me. You're not supposed to be with Ray. You're not supposed to be with Carlito next week until they actually join him. So I can see that being the case. And I think that might be where we're going with this. But we'll just have to wait and see what happens on uh, SmackDown next week. Now, next up, we have Bailey. Bailey would come down to the ring. Bailey would say that she had a vision for Dakota Kai and EO uh, Sky in the whole damage control group whenever she brought in Dakota and EO. She will list the accomplishments that EO has had under Bailey's vision, a tag team champion, Money in the Bank winner, a women's champion. And that's what Bailey has been able to do for EO and saying that right now this is EO's era and she should be happy, but with the return of Kyrie Sane and her not knowing about this, 
Bailey's kind of confused. So Bailey will call uh EO down to the ring. And EO will come down, but she will have Dakota Kai and Kyrie Sane in tow. Now, EO and Dakota would tell Bailey that they had a plan, and their plan is is to make damage control bigger. They appreciate what Bailey has done for them. They appreciate Bailey's plan. They appreciate everything Bailey has done for her. And there's a whole lot of what you've done for us, what you have done, your vision, a whole lot of your in this like conversation that they're telling to Bailey. And Bailey would just feel uncertain because the last time that we saw Kyrie here in WWE was Bailey basically beating up Kyrie backstage. So we have Bailey being unsure of Kyrie until Kyrie would tell Bailey that she respects her and that she forgives what Bailey did to her all those years ago. Now you would see Kyrie and Dakota and EO like tell Bailey to come in and hug it out. And they hug Bailey. Bailey still looks uncertain at this, but she takes it in. Then Bianca Belair will come out on the stage. Bianca Belair will say a couple words, saying how she can't believe that EO isn't woman enough to face her all by herself and that she's going to have to beat up on all three of the members of Damage Control. Bailey will say, it's only you and there's four of us. What are you going to do? Bianca would then tell Damage Control that there's more women in the back that just happened not to like Damage Control. So then Charlotte Flair will come out. Then Asuka will come out. Asuka will take the mic away from Bianca and talk some uh, Japanese to Kyrie and Io. And that's it. We have our six-woman main event match set up. It will be Asuka, Charlotte, and Bianca going against Damage Control. Now, after this, we have Dragon Lee going against Cedric Alexander. Dragon Lee would win the match by pinfall by hitting Destino for the win. Another great match from uh, Dragon Lee and Cedric Alexander. This is a rematch from a match that they had, I believe it was two weeks ago. And Cedric Alexander, I think this is a match to really get Cedric on the show more. And I got no beef with that because Cedric Alexander is one of the guys that really hasn't been able to really show everybody what he's capable of. Everybody will always tweet about uh, the Cruiserweight Classic when he had that great match with Kota Ibushi and how after the match got done, there was a chance of sign Cedric or sign him and Triple H would come out and say that they're signing Cedric. So there's always that video floating around and how everybody wants that version of Cedric Alexander on WWE main television here. And with Cedric having a rematch with Dragon Lee and those two guys are literally just kicking ass on television. I hope we get more of Cedric on main television because you can see they have plans in motion for Dragon Lee. So I'm hoping that with the rub that they're doing for Dragon Lee, Dragon Lee will give the rub off to not Sheldon, but Cedric and just prop Cedric up in a way that they actually pay attention to him. That's at least what I'm hoping. Now, next up, we have LA Knight going against Grayson Waller. But before this, LA Knight would come out. LA Knight would uh, talk about how he should be the WWE champion if it wasn't for Jimmy Uso. But that's not going to stop him. He's still going to trench forward and keep going after the bloodline. And then Grayson Waller will come out. Grayson Waller will say that LA Knight is crying over spilled milk. Yada, yada, yada. 
LA Knight would beat up on Grayson Waller uh, before the match, and then the match would start. Uh, they would go back and forth a little bit in this match, but in the end, LA Knight would win the match by pinfall, hitting the BFT for the win. So we have that. LA Knight still is going after the bloodline. He blames Jimmy Uso for him not being WWE champion, and it will be announced that next week, Jimmy Uso will be going against LA Knight, and that Solo as well will be making his return to SmackDown since he took down John Cena at Crown Jewel, and they were hyping this up as John Cena's last match. It could be. They always did say there could be word in there. This could be John Cena's last uh, match at Crown Jewel and how this might be the last time we see with John, in which, again, I don't think so. I don't think so at all. I think John Cena's coming around around WrestleMania time, and I think he's going to do a little something at Mania because this will, that will be his 20 years of marking, at least of making a WrestleMania situation because he debuted a WrestleMania match at WrestleMania 20. So I think it would be poetic for him to end his career at WrestleMania 40, literally 20 years later. So, again, that's just me. That's how I'm thinking about it, but we'll have to wait and see about that. But, yes, LA Knight will be going against Jimmy Uso next week, and hopefully uh, Solo Sokoa next week, he gets a big role since he beat John Cena at Crown Jewel in uh, devastating fashion. Now, we go over to our main event, a six-woman tag, Asuka, Charlotte Flair, and Bianca Belair going against Damage Control with Dakota Kai in their corner. This match would end in a no contest because Asuka would pull the swerve, and Asuka would miss... Bianca Belair in the face when the match was coming down to Charlotte. It was already taken out at this moment. Bianca Belair was kind of uh, winding down and she needed to tag in Asuka. And Asuka was like hyping it up to tag her in. And once she does so, Asuka would just miss Bianca Belair in the face. Bailey would be shocked by this. Uh, everybody on Damage Control would be shocked by this. Asuka would wave in. Kyrie saying to come in the ring. Kyrie would come in and hug Asuka. They would wave in Io. Io would come in, they would hug Io, and now it just looks weird. Bailey is now in the Twilight Zone because she's just weirded out by this. She doesn't know what to do. They would tell Bailey to get up and hug her. And now Damage Control is all together. It's a big like group here. You got Asuka, who was feuded with Damage Control for some time, with them. You got... Kyrie, who got attacked by Bailey years ago, now with damage control. And you still have Io, who is the world champion for the women's division on SmackDown. And she's not leading damage control. Again, I think there's this whole big swerve. Bailey even kind of can feel a little bit, but she's buying into this. So SmackDown would end with damage control standing on top of Bianca Belair and Charlotte Flair. I think this is going to turn into a women's war games match. It was not announced on SmackDown, but I can tell by how this is all going. Uh, next week is going to be announced with that. Oh, yeah. Shotzi. She did try to come out to make the save, but Shotzi fell victim to damage controls numbers. So, again, SmackDown next week. Big things to come. But I also think that the females or the women's war games will have damage control going against Bianca Belair, uh, Charlotte, uh, Shotzi, and a mystery partner. I don't know who that fourth mystery partner could be right now, but yeah, it's coming. Right now, at this moment, I don't know who it is, but you know the women's war game is going to come over to the SmackDown side since the men got the, uh, since Raw got the men's war games. SmackDown's going to get the female war games, and I'm not mad at it. Now, 
With that being said, that's your SmackDown Wrestling Highlights of the Week. And now we go over to AEW Rampage. AEW Rampage will open up with Ricky Starks with Big Bill in his corner going against Preston Vance, who will have Jose the Assistant in his corner. Ricky Starks would win the match by pinfall by hitting a spear on Preston Vance to win the match. Now, after the match, Ricky Starks and Big Bill will beat up on Preston Vance until Roosh and El Dristico will come down to the ring to make the save. That will have Ricky Starks and Big Bill leave the ring. So this tells you that LFI still has some unfinished business with Ricky Starks and Big Bill. Hopefully, uh, LFI goes after the AEW Tag Team titles. That's what I'm hoping. But we'll have to wait and see. Now, next up, we will have Ruby Soho going against Red Velvet. Red Velvet would win the match by pinfall by hitting a kick to Ruby Soho's head. And Ruby Soho, she did have the match technically kind of won because Ruby Soho was taking advantage of uh, Red Velvet. Ruby Soho was dominating the match towards the end. And you will see a stage crew member come down to the ring with roses in their hands and hand it off to Ruby. Now, if you've been catching up and paying attention with the storyline for what they've been doing with Ruby Soho, you knew exactly who the flowers came from. They came from Cool Hand Ange of 2.0 because uh, Cool Hand has been kind of been flirting with Ruby for the past couple weeks on Dynamite and Rampage. So she gets the flowers, she gets the roses. She's kind of confused uh, by this, and this would kind of get her eyes off the ball of Red Velvet, and this allowed Red Velvet basically to beat Ruby Soho here. So Red Velvet gets a win over Ruby. And, uh, yeah, I'm not mad at them doing a love story or a love angle with Ruby Soho and Cool Hand Ange because they're not doing much with Ruby Soho. She's always like the third wheel or was the third wheel of the Outcast because now it's only just Soraya and Ruby. And uh, Ruby is always left out in the cold. So now I'm hoping she gets some time in the light. Hopefully she gets a storyline that she can like bite her teeth into and with this storyline with herself, uh Cool Head and Daddy Magic and probably even Soraya with Daddy Magic and Soraya trying to be the two adults to separate their people away from each other. I would like to see how this thing's going to go. I really wouldn't. So we still got some time to go into this because this is just the beginning of it. Now next up we'll have a complete squash match. It will be the kingdom Coming down with Roderick Strong, still in the wheelchair, still with a neck brace on, going against two local guys. The Kingdom would win this match by a dominating fashion, by pinfall. Uh, they will hit the neck check, which is a power bomb running, uh, jumping neck breaker combination, to win the match on one of the guys. Now, after the match, Roderick Strong, he would leave his wheelchair, get in the ring, take off the neck brace, hit one of the guys with uh, end of heartache, and then hold on to his neck and leave the ring and get back into the wheelchair. So that's what we have here from the kingdom. I'm not going to lie to you. I like the whole Adam yelling from Roderick. I like the whole yelling at whoever it is that he got to get their attention from. I like that from Roddy. I did not expect this level of character work from Roderick Strong when he, like, coming into AEW. I didn't expect this. I only know of Roderick Strong, the professional wrestler, uh, the Messiah, the backbreaker, I mean, that Roderick Strong, and now with, we're seeing what Roddy, what he can do. I'm glad he's getting this uh, character opportunity, and is also giving the kingdom 
time on TV as well. And still, we still had that whole devil thing. Who's behind the devil mask? It still could be Adam working with the kingdom and Roddy. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. We still got some time to figure out. But I like what we're seeing from the kingdom and Roderick Strong. That's all I'm trying to get with this here. Now, next up, we go to our main event. It's a tag match. FTR going against Vinkingo and Commander. FTR would win a great tag match against Commander and Vinkingo by hitting the Big Rig or Shatter Machine, whatever one you want to call it, on Commander. After Commander would try to hit his walking shooting star press, but miss. So FTR would hit, as I said, Big Rig, Shatter Machine to win the match. A uh, great tag match. Again, FTR proves why they are one of the best tag teams going today, bar none. Uh, Vikingo and Commander, Lucha Libre, you know what time it is, high-flying, all that type of stuff. FTR had to uh, fend against that, and they were able, actually able to do so. And it's a great match. Go check it out if you want to go see a great tag match. So that's how Rampage would end, but before it actually does end, uh, the lights would go out, House of Blacks would uh, show up on the screen, they'll walk up and just start clapping their hands, looking, and then walk back into the shadows. So, FTR still has House of Black to deal with, we're still coming up on that. Uh, you know, the thing is, I think that we're trying to get House of Black, because there's three of them going against FTR, they're trying to build up the anticipation for FTR to have someone to stand beside them. And I understand where they might be going with it because Claudio might be the guy since Brian Danielson, he's out with the injury right now. And Moxley, he's kind of busy. Yuta's kind of busy. Claudio's probably the only guy they probably could jump in to help FTR take out House of Black. And I don't think that would be a problem because Claudio joining FTR, one half of one of the greatest tag teams that happened in the independence from Claudio teaming up with uh, Chris Hero back in the independent days as Kings of Wrestling. Him teaming up with FTR to take on House of Black. I think that would be great. Claudio, he's had uh, beef with Malachi Black in WWE at one point. I would like to see Claudio going against, well, go against Murphy. Well, Buddy Matthews, excuse me. And Brody King. Brody King going against Claudio, that would be fire. So, again, there's a lot of possibilities we can get with this. But I think that's where we're going with this because... FTR, they need an extra man, and Adam Copeland, he's kind of busy, so it won't be Adam no time soon. So, now with me saying all of that, that was your AEW Rampage Wrestling Highlights of the Week, and before I get you guys out of here, there has been some uh, news swirling around in the wrestling world. First one will be the NXT, they will be going to the CW uh, Network on October 2024, apparently their TV deal with USA is coming to an end, so they'll be moving themselves over to the CW network. That's cool. That's fine. As long as everybody still gets to see NXT, I think nobody pretty much cares about the network as long as people can see it. That's all they really ever care about. And also, this is uh, coming off of the heels of, what, last month or towards the end of the month of September. It was announced that SmackDown, they'll be moving off of the Fox network and going over to the USA network because I believe a Fox executive said that uh, SmackDown isn't bringing in the type of revenue or type of audience that Fox is looking for. So that's the reason why WWE SmackDown will be moving off of uh, Fox to the USA Network. But that also will be happening next year in October 2024. So WWE, they're still keeping up with TV rights, TV everything, and congratulations to them. Also, the biggest thing to come out was that 
uh, Vince McMahon, he plans to sell 8.4 million shares in TKO. So that means he's selling some of his shares of TKO holding uh, to the public. It is saying that the TKO CEO, Ari Emanuel, and President and COO Mark Shapiro expects to purchase $1 million each. Other directors have committed to buy another $850,000 in shares. So it seems that Vince might be getting pushed out of TKO. Again, I don't know much about the whole business standpoint of what TKO is doing. Now that they got WWE, UFC under one roof. There's always these reports coming out left and right. I personally do not care. As long as the product stays good, that's all I personally care about. And it's no longer the McMahon's business anymore. And I mean by that, it's no longer fully 100% controlled by the McMahon's. It's no longer that. They're under a new company. They're under new owner, new management. So this is basically just part of the course. Whatever somebody usually gets bought up, uh, whoever buys them, will usually be making the controlling uh, controlling decisions. And if they want you to sell some of your shares and all this type of stuff, trust me, they'll find a way to do it and make you do it. So I think this might be one of the ways that they're making Vince kind of sell his shares, even though he still holds a position in TKO. Um, he might just be getting pushed out, maybe. Again, I don't know. There's been reports about it. I'm not going to dig into it because personally, I do not care. I just think that it's kind of funny because people bring it up how Vince sold WWE so his family couldn't keep a hold of it. And now that somebody else, a person not in the family has your company, now you're getting pushed out. People kind of think that's kind of uh, irony. But hey, to each his own, I wouldn't have done that, but I'm not Vince McMahon. Nobody's Vince McMahon except for Vince McMahon. So that's just... uh. The way the wrestling world, at least in Vince McMahon's mind, works. And that's the way how it works now. So, now, with that out of the way, I would like to say thank you for listening to the Wrestling Highlights of the Week. I do this every Saturday. Uh, I have a Sunday episode coming out tomorrow. It's the Sunday episode where I talk about everything that goes down in the news uh, that went down the week. So, if you want to listen to that, you have that available to you tomorrow. And I have a midweek episode that comes out on Wednesdays where I talk about any and everything and I play music at the end of the show. That's out right now. So if you want to listen to those, you go ahead and do that. Now, with that being said, this has been your Wrestling Highlights of the Week. We're going to buy my Q6 podcast with my G2. He is I and I am him. I love you all. Have a great day. Have a great Saturday. You'll hear from me again on one of the select episodes that you want to listen to from either in the past or in the future. So, with that being said, have a great Saturday, have a great weekend, be blessed, and take care.